0: And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.
1: Hello, this is the Soul Anchor Podcast, and I am your host, Vidal Moreno. In the Soul Anchor podcast, we seek to anchor our faith in the truths of the Bible while we sail across the sea, seeking adventures where they can be found. In our last episode, we began to study the life of Samuel, verse by verse. We looked at the first eight verses. We learned that Samuel's father Alcana was involved in a polygamous relationship. He had two wives: Hannah, whom he loved but was barren, and Peninnah who had already given him many sons and daughters. To be barren in this Near Eastern culture was a great shame and filled with uncertainty. Shame because bearing a son and perpetuating the line was a woman's highest calling. It was filled with uncertainty because wives normally outlived their husbands, and once the husband died, sons and daughters were expected to care for their moms. So Hannah was miserable. To top it all off, Peninnah, because it was obvious she was not loved as much as Hannah, made her feel worthless on a daily basis. Elkanah was a Levite, so he would travel often with his family to Shiloh, where the tabernacle was present at that time. There, he would offer sacrifices for his family and also perform his priestly duties. At these times, Hannah would feel and be made to feel horribly. We pick up the story there. Verse 9. So Hannah got up after they had finished eating and drinking at Shiloh. At that time... Eli, the priest, was sitting in his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's sanctuary. In desperation, after the family had had their dinner, she does something that is not mentioned up to this time in the Old Testament. She goes to the sanctuary. Eli, or Eli, is ministering at this time as high priest, sitting on some kind of chair that was probably set up for the high priest to sit at. Verse 10. As for Hannah, she was very distressed. She prayed to the Lord and was, in fact, weeping. Isn't it comforting to know that God hears our distressed prayers? Isn't it interesting that the Judeo-Christian God cares for us in our weakness? All pagan gods, especially the gods of Greeks and the Romans, were the gods of the rich and powerful. Our God is the God that is there when we cry. He is so unlike the God that people picture him to be. The deists see God at a distance and aloof and uncaring. But God cares for us during our times of distress. Verse 11. She made a vow saying, O Lord of heaven's armies. If you would look on the suffering of your servant, and would keep me in mind, and not neglect your servant, and give your servant a male child, then I will dedicate him to the Lord all the days of his life. His hair will never be cut. This is the only woman recorded in the Old Testament as having made and kept a vow to God. Mentioning that scissors would not touch his head indicated that she would set him aside to become a Nazarite, a man or woman who has taken the Nazarite vow, which is distinguished by abstinence from certain actions, are primarily seen in the Old Testament among the Israelites with possible New Testament examples. The Hebrew term for Nazarite Comes from the Hebrew word meaning to separate. Number six presents the distinguishing features of the vow as abstaining from anything related to grapes and/or alcohol, refraining from cutting one's hair, avoiding dead people, even family members. So, according to Numbers thirty-six through fifteen, Elkanah could have voided the vow but it speaks well of his piety that he did not. This took great faith and great desperation. If God gave her her heart's desire, she would give him back to him. She wanted to feel valuable and worthy. And like it or not, having a son in that culture gave a woman great self-worth. So even if she would not be able to raise him, and see him grow up to become a man, she wanted so badly to be worthy to the Lord that she was willing to give him up to him. Nazarite vows were supposed to be temporary, but Samson and Samuel made it a lifelong thing. All that hair would have been a constant reminder of their commitment to God and how different they were from among other people. Verse 12, it turned out that she did a great deal of praying before the Lord. Meanwhile, Ellie was watching her mouth. She was praying silently, so Ellie found it curious to see a woman in deep distress mumbling something inaudibly. Verse 13, as for Hannah, she was speaking in her mind. her Only her lips were moving. Her voice could not be heard. So Ellie thought she was a drunkard. Simple explanation. It is so sad that Ellie saw so few people praying at the sanctuary that he assumed she was drunk. Verse 14. Then he said to her, How much longer do you intend to get drunk? Put away your wine. He was so disgusted with her that he scolded her for being drunk near the sanctuary. This was a place for people to pour out their souls to God. This was not a place to be inebriated. People had died for this kind of stuff. He did not want this kind of stuff going on on his watch. This reminds me of the sad story I heard about the other day of a Christian who was visiting Europe went into a cathedral and was so affected by the beauty that he sat down to pray. The priest came over and asked him what he was doing, probably thinking he was drunk, and was astonished when the man said he was praying. The priest was overjoyed. Apparently, most people came to the church to visit as a tourist attraction. Very few came to pray. Israel was spiritually dead at this time. It was the time of the judges. During this time, they kept swinging from apostasy to revival. This was probably a time of apostasy. But Hannah replied, verse 15, Not so, my lord. I am a woman under great distress. I haven't drunk wine or beer, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Hannah made the first step in the right direction. She admitted her pride. She realized that she was stubborn. She was admitting it to God and relying on Him completely. This was a beautiful moment between her and God, and Ellie had misunderstood it. Unlike her ancestors, Sarah and Rachel, instead of taking matters into her own hands, she gave them over to God. Verse 16. Don't consider your servant a wicked woman. It's just that, to this point, I have spoken from my deep pain and anguish. She realizes that Ellie now thinks she's a drunken fool, and she's embarrassed. She esteems Ellie and does not want him to think that way, so she tells him the truth. She has been telling God about her grief. We need to be like Hannah and go to the Lord when we're grieving. He is a compassionate and sympathetic God. God even knows what we feel because he felt it too while he was on earth in human form. That is comforting. He is acquainted with grief. He can relate to our weaknesses. Ellie replied, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant the request that you have asked of him. That was verse 17. Ellie must have been shocked and amazed at the faith of this woman. This was not an ordinary woman as far as he was concerned. He bestowed on her his blessing. He basically told her that he was taking back what he had said and that he was sincerely hoping that God granted her whatever she was asking for. I need to be more compassionate. Like Ellie, I can look at the surface of a situation and become very judgmental. We need to try to see things from other people's viewpoint and from God's viewpoint and be more understanding and compassionate. She said, verse 18, May I, your servant, find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and got something to eat. Her face no longer looked sad. She gave Ellie a common salutation. She was hoping that this experience had not marred his opinion of her. She was also showing respect by esteeming his opinion. After dumping her troubles on God, she went back and began eating again, and her spirits seemed to have lifted. She apparently was hopeful that God was going to grant her request. I cannot imagine what life would be like if I did not hope that God had my best in mind when he allows life to rock me. If I did not believe that he was in control and that he really knew what was going on with me and were going to turn things for my good, I do not know what I would do. I would despair. Have you ever felt this way? Verse 19 They got up early the next morning. Then they worshiped the Lord and returned to their home at Ramathiam. Alkanah was intimate with his wife and the lord called her to mind they said goodbye to god this was a family that really loved god and wanted a relationship with him they just didn't go through the motions in hopeful expectations elkanah had sex with hannah god of course never forgot hannah but the writer here is trying to convey that he acted on her request at this time god turned his attention to her god has His own timing. I've learned this. His timing does not coincide with ours. God knows that we live in time and that our time is limited, so we are very impatient people. Nevertheless, God loves us and He has a personal plan for us and a big plan for the world. Sometimes He has to say, not yet, to us because He needs us. For the big plans, and he is still moving all the pieces in place. God was going to use Samuel to do amazing things in the years to come. He would serve as the shatter point that would help transition Israel from the time of the judges to the time of the kings. He had to be the right person at the right time and the right place. That is why God took Hannah through what she did. It was a terrible experience for her. But now looking back, we can all relate to her and be inspired by her faith. I am sure she would say that because God used her the way he did, and because of the impact she had, that it was all worth it. I look forward to being outside of time so that I can clearly see how God has used me During my times of disappointment, hardship, or pain. Then Hannah became pregnant. That's verse 21. In the course of time, she gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, thinking, I asked the Lord for him. Literally, in the Hebrew, Samuel is made up of two words. Shem, which means name and L, which is the generic name for God. Jewish names often would remind parents of something significant. So whenever Hannah would think of her son, she would think of the time in which she called on the name of God for help, and he answered her. Verse 21 Then the man, Elkanah, and all his family went up to make the yearly sacrifice to the Lord and to keep his vow. If the last part of this verse is a bit of a puzzle, it's because you are listening carefully. We do not know exactly what vow the writer was referring to. The only vow that had been pronounced was Hannah's vow to give Samuel over to the Levites as a Nazarite. Had he made a personal vow, perhaps concerning the baby? Was he reaffirming Hannah's vow? According to Numbers 30, 6-8, A husband could nullify his wife's vow. I think it speaks a lot to what Alkana thought of Hannah, that he allowed it to stand even if it meant that he would lose his one and only child from the woman he loved. Maybe he simply made Hannah's vow become his. Besides, he probably needed to tell Ellie and his sons that their world would be changing soon. Verse 22 but Hannah did not go up with them because she had told her husband, quote, Not until the boy is weaned. Then I will bring him so that he may appear before the Lord, and he will remain there from then on. End quote. Even though Hannah, being a woman, was not required to go to the annual festivals, she was used to going. It was in her character. She was a pious woman. But she was not commanded to go and this was a very tenuous time in the life of any child. Infant mortality was very high during most of human history and going on a journey would be dangerous. She felt responsible for him. He belonged to God and she was going to protect him until he was ready. Nevertheless, Elkanah knew that God had interceded for her and given her a child. So he went to make sure that the religious procedures for expressing thanks for what God did was kept. It is so important to always demonstrate our gratefulness for what God is doing in our lives. We no longer need to make an offering at the tabernacle or in the temple in order to express our thanks to God, but we need to give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 tells us, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Are you wondering what God's will is for you? You have one aspect right there. It is God's will for you to be thankful in whatever circumstances you find yourself in. Having a grateful heart is such an important part of our spiritual walk. Try this. Make a list of everything you're grateful for. Put it on your reminder app in your smartphone. Every day, go over the list until it becomes a habit. How it changes your outlook on things will amaze you. I used to become despondent when bad things would happen to me. Now when it happens, I take out my list, and I am grateful for what I have, and not for what I do not have. Try it right now. It will be a game changer for you. Next week, we will conclude chapter one. If you're enjoying the Soul Anchor podcast and would like to automatically receive the podcast every time I upload an episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button. Soul Anchor Podcast is also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The Soul Anchor Podcast Facebook page has the complete transcript of this episode. Like the page so that you can receive notifications when I post information about these episodes. I invite all my listeners to message me on Facebook or email me at vidmore at yahoo.com. I would love to hear from you. I get very little feedback and I would love to get some feedback, positive or negative. Getting back to the podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, tell others about it and leave a five-star review because that will allow the podcast to get more recognition in the community. Till we meet again.
0: It's a soul.